Awesome. I love that song. It's so rich. It's like reading the Bible. So good. Well, welcome to another Sunday. Can't believe. How many of you feel like, man, I just so much happens in one week? <laughs> A lot, right? Our air conditioner broke, which we needed heat and air this week. <laughs> it was summer and winter in one week. <laughs> welcome to Florida. Lots going on. My mother was in town. She got to experience, she's from Chicago, and so I think it's like negative 12 today. And she was trying to get some sun and some nice weather, but unfortunately she came in the wrong week last week when it was high of 50 or something like that. But she at least got some sunshine, because I used to live up there, and they don't get the sun up north the whole winter. It's it's pretty, pretty bad, but... Man, I'm excited for the book of Acts. I know that it's a long journey. I know that it's going to take us a while, but it's, it's going to give us everything that we need. And the Bible says that. And it's, today, we're going to answer two questions. If you want to go ahead and write that on the top of your notes, this is a note-taking church. I really do encourage you to do that. Um, and that it, talk about it in your discipleship and in your life groups this week. Uh, with the Lord throughout the week too, I think it is important to go back and review those notes. Uh, pride would say I don't need to take notes because I know it all, uh, but humility would say I want to take notes so that I can remember them later uh, and so that God can quicken my spirit when I need it. Because how many know that it's not just hearing the word, but it's also being doers of the word, that we want to be doers of the word. And James, it says that. Uh, we were in Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, Paul, James, and John were there. Uh, we were <laughs> walking the streets along with Ricardo Bravo. Uh, it's not a biblical name, but um, he was there. It was a, an incredible weekend, or not weekend, I guess, two days there. And we got to explore D.C. Again, another scouting trip. Uh, just to check out the nation's capital, uh, I could say so much, I'm not going to, but I could say so much uh, that it's just, a, I'm so excited to bring our church back there. We found housing, which is incredible, which is no small feat, really, uh, especially there, uh, to find housing that would fit us all, and so we're, we're really excited that you guys definitely want to sign up. Of course, Tampa's on the horizon, it's only a couple weeks away, uh, but then D.C. will be in May, and don't miss that. We, our nation's capital really needs, our country does. And so while we're going there, it kind of is our, it is basically our Samaria, so to speak, our, our Judea and, and was Tampa, of course, here, Jerusalem, Orlando, and, and then the nations of the earth, as soon as they open up the borders, I'm sure many of you are ready to go, if not, if not all of you. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm excited to get there. I think it's going to be a great time, but just for context, James and Paul do go to our church. My name's John for context there. We, uh, but it is funny. When I did say that to Nicole the other day, she's making dinner. And she said, oh, you know, James and Paul are going. She's like, yeah, right. Like James, Paul, and John, like you're the guy. I don't know, really. James, Paul, and John are going. I mean, maybe not what you're thinking. <laughs> so we had the apostles in spirit there as well. So we were quoting them, throwing snowballs at each other. It won't be like that in May, I don't think. So turn your Bibles to Acts 9, 1 to 31. But I'm at, we're going to answer two questions this morning. And one is, is it possible to be saved? Well, and it, can, can I, me as a sinner, uh, maybe not as bad as Paul, but we'll see as we go through the scriptures where you're at in the spectrum. But can he save someone like myself? I know it's a simple question, but that's what we're going to be answering today. And then the second one is, what does it actually mean to be saved? I think that is important. You know, even as you're out there on the streets and sharing the gospel or talking to family or in your workplace, you need to know what does it actually mean to be saved? And I think that in this culture today, it is very easy to just think, hey, because you go to church or because you read the Bible even, or have a Jeremiah 29.11 mug or a cup or something from wherever, the Christian bookstore, just because you have these things or have Jesus' Lord on your license plate or a fish 
that's eating the Darwin fish. I mean, whatever... The Darwin, the fish with legs, and you know, did you ever see that before? There's like this battle of fish, who will win? Um, but I, you know, it doesn't matter what you wear on your sleeve or your neck, but what is in your heart that matters. And you need to know what does it mean to actually be saved, because I'll say this: that there's always the tares and the wheat among us. There's always, there always will be, Jesus said, until the end, that time I will separate the sheep and the goats, the bad fish, the good fish, the wheat and the tares. He's going to do that. And I believe he's talking about the church. Of course, the world will be swept away, but it's in the church that he separates. And once the net gets pulled in, right, the parable of the dragnet, once the net gets pulled in, he begins to separate. And fish smell like fish, right? In one sense. I mean, they, but, and, I, and I think that we, there, you know, the Bible says there's uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. We are not to zealously trying to rip out tares. That's not our job. But we are to have discernment and judge and, and rightfully, as it says in Matthew 7, Contrary to what the culture says, you can't judge me. Well, they're saying you can't judge me because they're wrong. I mean, have some discernment. <laughs> of course they would say that. So judging rightfully is a good thing, and we need discernment today. Amen? We need lots of discernment. And we're going to need more in the coming days. So even though this sermon is very familiar as far as Acts 9, the conversion of Paul, Saul to Paul, by the way, is the same name. It didn't, because he got saved, his name's not Paul, which we'll talk about later, but the, it's the, the Jewish Greek name. But I, I, I believe that it is important to look at his life, and so on the top of your page, write the seven characteristics of a transformed man. And so as we, before we get into that, I do want to share a few stories from church history, and I believe this will set the stage for, for where we're going. There's a man named Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Both are right, I, I think. I don't know. <laughs> but I've heard it said that way, Augustine. Augustine, he was born around 354 to about mid-400s. And he was one of the greatest theologians uh, that was ever given to the church. He is uh, known as a, a, a a man of psychology. He gave us basically psychology or biblical psychology in that way. He was a very interesting thinker. If you read him, uh, his Confessions is a good book. Also, a great book is uh, The City of God, where he contrasts the city of God versus the city of darkness. And um, very good book. But he struggled with sin and condemnation all his life, most of his life, before he got saved Recalling that uh, there's a story in Confessions, which I thought was really good, uh, of him. You may have heard of it, but Augustine was with his buddies, and they were about to go into this field that wasn't his own to go steal pears. It's very trivial, but he went to go and steal these pears, and he said to himself as he was eating them, he's like, I actually have better pears in my own backyard. I have much better pears. In fact, I have a whole orchard for all. I mean, I, I could eat as many as I want. I don't have to steal. But he learned something about sin that day. He said sin was, is desirable. It's fun. I get an adrenaline rush. It's enticing. There's something fun about it. And that showed him the depravity of, of his nature and realizing, man, I... There's something not right here. He struggled a lot with sexual sin. He realized, he, he thought he could never be saved. His problem was not that, oh, I, I'm a wretched sinner. I, I really, he knew that. He just didn't, is there a way out uh, for someone like myself? And he struggled and he struggled, but this is what he wrote in Confessions. He says, I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up telling myself that this could be only this could only be a divine command to open my book of scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. Now he heard a voice in the garden as he was reading and it said, take and read. 
It was probably, he said it was like a child probably saying that. So he obeyed that voice. And so he started to read this passage from the Bible, which I'll read in a second here. But he goes on and says, so I hurried back to the place where my friend was sitting. For a while I stood up to move away, I had put down the book containing Paul's epistles. I seized it and opened it. And in silence, I read the first passage, which my eyes fell not in, revel, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness. <laughs> Wanton. It's great. <laughs> not in quarrels <laughs> and rivalry, rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. This is from Romans 13, 13 and 14, in which his eyes glanced to the scriptures. And he says this, I, I had no wish to read more. And no need to do so. For in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. Isn't that amazing? Then and there he believed the word of God. He trusted Jesus and he became, he became saved and went on to be one of the greatest theologians the church has ever known. Fast forward about 1,400 years, a man named John Newton. He was a drunken and rebellious sailor. Many probably know where I'm going with this, but worked slave ships, captured slaves, an evil man in himself. Eventually, he actually became a slave, uh, and then he, uh, of of a slave ship itself, he was at sea. The storms were unbearable. He thought he was gonna die. He had read Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ, and right then and there, the, the seed was planted in his heart to be saved. He then led one of the greatest evangelical movements at the time in the 18th century with Wesley, the three W's, the Wesley, Whitfield, and Wilberforce. Amazing. Of course, you probably know this, but he penned Amazing Grace. He actually believed it. He lived it out. And on his tombstone wrote, John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. God can save men. He can. He's able. I, you know, I love that passage with a rich young ruler. It was impossible. You know, and it's interesting. It's something we were praying out in the, just out here with the elders. One of the things we said is I love how Jesus speaks to the current situation in his day. He was able to get down. He actually stooped down when he talked to the woman caught in adultery. He actually got down when he was tired and he was weak and needed drink and he was talking to the woman at the well who had five husbands. But then how did he talk to the Pharisees? He scolded them. He said, woe is you, you whitewashed tombs. What did he say to him? He said, your father is the devil. (laughs) that's That's pretty intense, right? But then also, middle of the road, the rich young ruler, he had this way to talk to him He had this compassion. In fact, the writers of scripture say it was because of love that he told this man to go sell everything and come follow him. It was because of love to speak the truth, knowing that if he actually did, he would be saved. Now, how many of you know that you can't be saved by your works? And that leads me to Martin Luther, who was all about works. In fact, it's, if you know Martin Luther, I mean, he just, he's fun to read. Uh, he, he really is. He's always, he, he, he just drills the, 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 the Catholic church. I mean, he just is going after the, 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 the Pope all the time. In fact, unnecessarily many times, uh, he didn't need to probably say as much as he did, but he was also truthful and honest, and you can respect him for that. I um, mean, he studied law at 21 years old. He was in... Uh, uh, a major thunderstorm. Uh, there's probably a something there. 
that how many of you guys got saved right after a thunderstorm? No, <laughs> but he uh, cried out. He he had gotten struck. He, he didn't get struck by lightning, but the the lightning struck and he fell down. He's like, this is a sign from God. So he began to pray to Saint Anna, the patron saint, and he said, okay, I surrender. I'll become a monk. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. How many guys pray prayers like that, though? You know, like, Lord, if you get me out of COVID, I promise I'll go to Africa. And it's like, you just do that. You bargain with God, and it, it, it worked. I mean, he, God got his attention. So he went to an Augustinian monastery, which is interesting. But he wrote this. He says, I, was, I tortured myself with prayer and fasting, the vigils and freezing, the fro- the, I'm sorry, the frost alone might have killed me. What else, he was just torturing, he was very ascetic. It, what, what else did I seek by doing this? But God, who was supposed to note my strict observance of the mon- monastic order and the ascetic life, I constantly walked in a dream and lived in real idolatry. Interesting. For I did not believe in Christ. I regarded him only as a severe and terrible judge portrayed as seated on a rainbow, interesting view of God. Later he wrote, when I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fastings and prayers, etc., rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my own works. And I, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken, terror-stricken, I thought to myself, who am I that I should lift up my eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? For I am dust and ashes full of sin and I am speaking to the living, eternal and true God. Fear only perpetuated in his life. You guys ever heard of the holy stairs? They were, there's a, basically a, a myth that they took the kind of the road, the stairs that led up to the cross in Jerusalem. They roam took those stairs and put them in Rome in, uh, the, near the Vatican. And if you, if you walked up the stairs on your knees and kissed the steps, you'd be, uh, you'd be saved. <laughs> so Luther did it. <laughs> He's crazy, but he did it. So he did it. He went all the way up and he said, this only made matters worse. <laughs> he didn't feel close to God afterwards, that's for sure. Uh, maybe us, maybe many of us are not as extreme, but we do do some strange things to try to earn favor with God. If that wasn't bad, then John Titzel, which you've probably heard in 1517, the, uh, began to sell indulgences. And this is really where the uh, Reformation began during this time where he, was abs- he wasn't saved. He was absolutely just irritated by the fact that these people could go to people's houses, knock on their doors, raise money for Rome to, to the new St. Peter's Basilica, to the new uh, uh, building project, and would knock on people's door and say, hey, look, if you, can, uh, if you give me money, then I will make sure that the Pope prays for you or your dead loved ones so that they will get out of purgatory and go to heaven super corrupt. And so Luther is like, forget this. October 31st, 1517, by the way, is not Halloween. It's the birth of the Reformation. Wrote his 95 thesis. Enemy's always trying to hijack the good holidays, isn't he? 95 thesis regarding the indulgences, and he nailed them to the wall in Wittenberg, or Wittenberg in German. Uh, But not, uh, they, he wasn't saved. He just told the truth. So it just can't happen. It was all about this particular issue of indulgences. It had nothing to do necessarily by, just, by faith alone. That came a little later. So years later, he, Luther became obsessed with a passage from Romans 117. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven for faith. As it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. This gripped him realizing that this isn't an active righteousness, this is a passive righteousness. And what that means is that, that by faith, I can, by just believing in Christ alone, he gives me his righteousness. And realize at that point, he had said yes to Jesus in the cross, and he got saved. And this is what he says, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that the, I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. 
Anybody here have that? Just a conscience that's constantly disturbed, wondering, am I saved? Am I his? Am I born again? Am I going to be in heaven if I were to die today? I could not believe that he was appeased by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes. I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. And he was angry with him, realizing, I, I, just don't, I don't even want to be near God if he's like this. Who could be saved? As if, if indeed, it is not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of calamity, by the law of the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments of the law, without having God add pain to pain, by the gospel, and also by the gospel, threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat persistently upon Paul at that place, most eagerly desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he who through faith is, is righteous shall live. Let me read that again. He through faith is righteous, righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith, And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness, this is important, with which merciful God justifies us by faith. That is, it is written, he he through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Thereupon I ran through the scriptures from memory. I also found in other terms, an analogy as the work of God, that is what God does in us, the power of God which, with which he makes us strong, the wisdom of God with which he makes us wise, the strength of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God. His conscience was at ease because he believed the scriptures. He trusted that the righteous shall live by faith, not by works. Now that's important because in the backdrop of a corrupt religious system says that you can actually earn your salvation. Now of course, we still have those systems, but Satan is always trying to build up some other corrupt system to actually uh, keep people, blind people, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he blinds people from seeing the what? The light of the gospel and the glory of God. And Luther was able to see that for the first time. And I thought it's, I think it's very interesting that he did very good things that actually changed the course of history before he got saved. You could change the world and go to hell. You, You could actually do that. That's why purpose isn't the top goal for anybody here, by the way. As I mentioned last week, the purpose-driven deal is not the top goal of Christianity. Contrary to what a lot of megachurches say and pragmatic churches, they sell. <laughs> you actually go into a bookstore and there's smiling faces in front of you on book covers, and you have to actually go to the back to find actually what this life is all about, if they even have it there. There's lots of damning doctrines of demons, as Paul says in the scriptures. And I think it is important to know what it means to be saved. That I think everybody here at the end of today, hopefully has a confidence, assurance that no matter what happens, the worst thing that could happen is not death if you're secure in Christ. It's not. That's why I think it's really important, church, 
to not fear COVID. The most absurd thing I've ever heard is let's find a COVID-friendly church. That is ridiculous. This is a faith-filled church. And we want to faithfully reach people. Do you know who the first people in the, during the Spanish flu in 1818, do you know who's helping? <laughs> who? Church. The church. They were out there putting bodies on carts to wheel them out, realizing I could just flow right with these people onto my grave. We're worried about it's utter foolishness. It's foolishness. It is. All right. I think we've lost our minds. All right. Dangerous doctrines of man. They're all around us. We need discernment. We need discernment in this hour. And Luther had that. And what I, what I admire about a man like Luther and John Newton and Wilberforce and Whitfield and John Owen and John Huss and John Wycliffe, if you notice, John, John, John. <laughs> but John Calvin. I mean, just, <laughs> I can go on. <laughs> but they were the heroes because they spoke to the culture. And people say all the time, well, you're too political. I'm not political. Because they spoke to kings. They spoke to King Henry. They spoke to Queen Mary. These are kings. And frankly, I will say, we got ourselves a king. We have our first king in America. And we need to speak the truth today. And where you go, it, it, it's interesting, I read something the other day, one of the most important messages that was ever spoken was by Hugh Latimer. It, back in the Marian Martyrs in 1555, he was also burned at the stake along with John Rogers. And one of the things he said was, the, 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 preacher, the, the preacher that everybody listens to, the most important preacher, do you know who that is? Shout it out. Who's the most important preacher today? It is not Jesus. Who's the most important preacher today? The devil. The devil is the most important preacher today. He's on your phone, he's in your newspaper, he's online. He said that, Latimer said before he died, he said, look, the most, is the Sermon of the Plow is the most famous sermon at that time. He said, look, the most important preacher on planet earth is the devil. And he's deceiving the earth. And he, what he was saying is, wake up church to truth. You need to wake up. It's important. And if you don't, you'll be swept away. The reality is, no one's holding anybody here with handcuffs. I, I last time I checked, I, I can check again. But nobody's holding you here hostage. If you, don't, if you think we're too political, then go down the street. It's okay. It, it, I mean, it won't offend anybody. But the pulpit is chosen, God's chosen vessel to preach truth in the day because you're not going to find it online. You're not going to find it on the news, certainly. And the church needs to wake up. They do. And it's a wonderful thing when it's black and white and the people want to mess it all up so it's gray and confuse everyone. But it's black and white. Oh, John, why do you have to be so black and white? Because the Bible is black and white. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking my cues from something else. I'm taking the cues from this thing called the Bible, which is inspired truth. And you might say, well, that's, it's kind of political. All they just be. No one ever got saved by being nice. 
no one ever gets saved by being nice. Jesus didn't say, okay, fine, just come follow me, forget the money thing. He was damned, and he walked away. And Jesus says, because of love, I want to draw him in. And the only way to draw him in is to wound him with truth so that he comes in. And these men understood that. John Newton understood that. There was a storm, whatever God, whatever it takes. Sometimes, do you ever just, you're, if you're doing something wrong, a, the rustling of a leaf, R.C. Sproul says, would make somebody jolt out of sin. Right? You're walking home alone and just a, a, a leaf comes. Oh, God, no. Because you're after me. It drives you to the cross. People patting you on the back moves you away from the cross because you don't need it. Right? You don't need it. But I need it. Somebody actually just, I was in D.C. We were having a great conversation. He's like, I just feel like my ride home, I'm just getting saved all over again. I'm just confessing everything I did from the, day, the time I got up. I was probably sinning in my dreams. Don't take your cues. Certainly not Christianity from the culture. All right, Acts 9. Acts 9. <laughs> Acts 9. Okay. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is Jesus, and they get that from John 14, 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now Paul he got educated with the best of the best, right? He was under Gamil. He was, he was Gamaliel. He was the, the best of the best. You could read that in his letters. He was trained. He was uh, passionate about what he believed in. No doubt God used him later in life with his boldness uh, after. And how many know that, you know, not everything disappears when you get saved from your old life. In fact, he wants to redeem that and use it for the glory of God. He just gets rid of the things that are not so good. That's what he does. So in Acts 26, just read this. I mean, in Acts 8, sorry, he was dragging men and women to prison. He was actually going out of his way to get people. But in Acts 26, he reads his testimony to the higher-ups, so to speak. He says, so then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, he just believed this. And then this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. As I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. I mean, you can't get lower than that. It's like, just blaspheme, please, so I can grab you. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even in foreign cities. I mean, if he had airplanes, he'd go all over the place, just like the U.S. Marshal, and grab people back to Jerusalem. Now, understand something. The high priest did have a lot of authority, but he probably needed to get some level of uh, a letter or some sort to go to other places to bring uh, people back, and he did that. And so having done that, he marches off. Some say, some theologians say he had to go through Samaria and probably irritated him even more to see the revival that Jesus was doing. But nonetheless, this sets the stage for an incredible testimony. And really today, this morning, this is meant to be so encouraging that the worst of sinners can be saved. I, I mean, you don't get more encouraging than that. I mean, it, it, but it has to come against the backdrop of utter depravity. If you never get there, that's why it's not wise. I heard the other day of a testimony. They, they, they were beginning to come to Jesus before they heard the gospel. That's heresy. That's not true. <laughs> I never heard anybody come to Jesus before they got to the gospel. Now, Jesus does woo people. He does set the stage for them. And I believe he was setting the stage for Luther. He was setting the stage for Augustine. He was setting the stage 
for John Newton, and he's setting the stage for Paul. All right, verse 3. Here we go. As he was traveling, these will, these will be quick points, okay? So as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus speaking. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and through his eyes, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drink or drank. All right, so number one, the seven characteristics, we'll just rattle these off. And like I said, these will be, these will be pretty quick. I don't need to belabor them. Just number one is man of faith. He was a man of faith. Seven characteristics. How do you know if you're saved? You have faith in Jesus, not in yourself. You can't save yourself. He knew that. He was stopped in the tracks. In fact, Acts 26, 14 says he fell in the dirt. He was utterly helpless. It was around noon which means the Middle Eastern sun was beating down. If this was just the sun, some, some you know, secular theologians that say, oh, it was just the sun beating down, then certainly you wouldn't be blind by a normal Middle Eastern day. Clearly, this is something brighter. This is something more glorious that stopped him in his tracks, and it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Jesus woos us. Have you ever felt wooed by him? Think back to the time before you got saved. Think back. You, you didn't notice it then. I, I don't think you noticed it. You just, but you, in hindsight, looking back, you're like, wow. Look what he was doing. He was setting the stage. He was, he was sovereignly working in my life. He brought me to the point of I'm desperate and I need him. Thursday, was, I was prideful and I thought I could save myself. Friday morning, I was a changed man. It was, it was September uh, you know, 21st, I was this way, but September 22nd, I was this way in the year 2000 at 18 years old in the dorm room of my college. It just turned, the, the, the switch turned on from darkness to light. Contrary to what people say or theologians or pastors of megachurch or whatever, of, of the, the, the pragmatic, people say, you start here, become a better you. If you come to Christ, you'll just be a better you, better version. No, you're dead and you're alive. Dead, alive. Not, I'm okay and I need some drugs to get me here. Drugs meaning positive phrases. That's not how we get there. God is most pleased with our lives. You want to see God smile? All of us do. Humble. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what happened to Luther. He said, I, I, don't, I, I just can't do this steps thing. And forget the step. I mean, I know that maybe not relevant. To, I mean, no one walks around on their knees, you know. But the reality is, who's going to deliver me from this conscience of death? Who's going to actually free me from death? Because I can't handle it anymore. Why do you think there's suicide? Why do you think there's so much depression today? The only way to be saved is through Christ and trusting him as much as that chair is holding you up right now. You didn't for once think. You, could, you came in, you're like, hey, honey, why don't you check it first? Can you just check it first and I'll sit on it? No one did that. No one does that. If you have to constantly check, oh, will Jesus hold me up in the last day? Just check, check it, check it, check it, check it. You die freely. 
because you know that you know that you know that you know that it was sufficient. He had conviction of sin. He was wooed. He was brought in. But it wasn't, he wasn't wooed in by positive language. He wasn't using, oh, God wants to use you, so be saved. We do that, right? We do that on the streets. Oh, but God wants to use, they may be rejecting Jesus. Oh, but God wants to use you. That doesn't save anybody. For we also were foolish ourselves, Titus 3, 5, 3 to 5, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to what? His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's all him across the board. Conviction of sin, John 16, 9. The Holy Spirit convicts us concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He convicts us of our sin. What, guys, if we could just look at the conviction of sin as such an amazing gift. What a gift. If you just feel good all your life, I'm not sure Jesus is there. But what a gift. I'm not saying you need to beat yourself. That's works again. That's, that's going up the steps on your knees. But just trusting him. And then, I love this. You know, remember that Saul, or Paul, he was watching and affirming Stephen's death. In fact, I said this a number of weeks ago, that he was probably on the council debating, watching this whole thing go down. And... I love this, that he says, who are you, Lord? You know, one of the things I love about that response is, contrary to modern Christianity, you get saved and Jesus is my Savior, and somewhere maybe 15 years later, he now becomes your Lord. No, he becomes Savior and Lord on that day. So Saul just started, hey, Lord, I I think you got me. Apparently, that's not the Middle Eastern son, because I know what that's like. This is different. (laughs) This is a little different. (laughs) I need to surrender. He was wooed. He was convicted of sin. He got saved and he was fully surrendered. I don't know a Christian, a true believer on the planet who just gets saved and doesn't surrender. That's false. That is false Christianity. Do not buy into that. I mean, I don't think, the amount of failures that you see throughout the Gospels of the disciples, that should comfort us. You can fail. You can fail, and you fail every day. I mean, I fail every day, every day, whether it's my mind or my speech or my actions, the things I should do, and I don't do it, the things I shouldn't do, but yet I do. I mean, Paul wrestled with that in Romans 7 as a believer, not prior to it but as a believer. Romans 10, 9, Paul knew that he wrote it. Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10, he's, Jesus is Lord and Savior. That means when he tells you to do something, you do it. When he tells you not to do something, you don't do it. It's not an option. They're not the 10 suggestions. They're not the 10 opinions of God. They're the 10 commands of God. That's what they are. That's a good thing. Because the law shows us, oh, if it's a suggestion, there's no conviction. If it's a command and you don't do it, there's conviction. If you allow them. If you haven't hardened your heart. When the king goes to church every day and doesn't repent and just goes to church and believes that he's okay... That hardens your heart even more. There's more wrath being stored up for him. As according to Romans 1. Wrath is coming. And it should. And it should to us. Wretched man I am. I mean, we're no different. 
The only difference is somehow the grace of God got through my heart and heart. I don't understand that. And therefore, I'm thankful rather than entitled. I'm thankful. And then, of course, he had some solitude with the Lord, which after that encounter, I think all of us would want that. So the Lord just said, hey, look, just take three days off. You won't see. You won't see a thing. Someone will have to kind of you know, walk you in to your room and your bedroom, which, of course, is very humiliating to a very educated man like Paul. Very humble. God humbled him. He said, you know, I love what the, how the Lord is. He's, he's, he's so faithful to his word. God will humble the proud. He just said, look, Paul, I have to be true to my word. In fact, you'll write this one day. But I'm going to have to humble you, blind you, walk you to your, someone's going to have to walk you to your room. He was walking others to jail and someone was walking him to his room for three days, couldn't see, didn't eat, just began to pray, which leads me to the next point. The second one is a man of prayer. He rose up, Ananias, and he just said, hey, look, go to this man, tell him what he's going to do. And Paul was just fasting and praying and just saying, God, I, I realize I, I am totally helpless and I'm dependent and that's what prayer does. This is a year of prayer. All that means is just even the, 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 the I'm not going to look through here, of course, but the, the, uh, this book should just remind, get one, talk to somebody about getting one. I think we have extras, but this is our prayer journal and what this says is that just the, just the look of the book, it's just like, oh, yes, I'm dependent. Like, I, it's just sitting on my, on my dresser next to me, and I, I just walk by me. Oh, yeah, I'm dependent. Oh, yeah, I forgot I'm dependent. I need prayer. I can't do without prayer. I'm desperate for you to move. And then, of course, he was a man of purpose. Paul was a man of purpose. It says, go for he is cho- my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Kings. God wants us to speak to people that are in higher up positions. Not to ignore them. He wants us to pray for them. And if he gives us an opportunity, we speak. And what does he say? Well, what if I don't know how to speak? He says, when I put you before them, you will speak and the Holy Spirit will give you the words. We have Dan Bauman coming in next week. He's a, uh, which you guys are in for a treat. It's, we'll do that at tomorrow, next week, February 14th, Valentine's Day. It's great. So take your sweetheart to church. Uh, and, and uh, you know, have a nice dinner. Come watch Dan Bauman. Dan Bauman was in prison in Iran for a number of weeks, I think it was nine weeks to be exact. He didn't know how long he'd be there. He thought he was going to die. And he's going to share his testimony. And uh, wow. If you think you have a bad day. (laughs) He got beat up every day. Didn't know if he was ever going to get out. But as he was standing before the authorities, he preached the gospel in front of all those people that had control over his life he was shaking this is the gospel we need men and women to rise up in this hour to speak truth and you have that this is what it's about man of purpose what I love is that it's not based on your call to ministry is not based on man's opinion it is based on the sovereignty of the Lord I mean, listen to this. Galatians 1.1, it didn't say, Paul, oh, I just decided to go into ministry. (laughs) Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, put in parentheses, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. A little parenthetical statement for us all. It's not, oh, I want a purpose. Let me go find one. No, no, you have a purpose. Let him tell you what it is. Let him tell you what it is, but there's a logical flow to how that works. Be a man of prayer, man of purpose. I love that Colossians 1.23 says, I was made a minister. 
by the stewardship of God bestowed on me. He, it's him. He gave me this calling. Uh, next one, number four, man filled with the spirit. The spirit was involved and is involved in your life, line by line, chapter by chapter in your life. In other words, John 16, 9, he convicts us. John 3, 5, he, conv- he saves us. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, he enables us to say Jesus is Lord and mean it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he indwells us and he gives us one baptism, one spirit. Paul was filled with the spirit. The reason why many theologians ask and people ask, well, why didn't Paul have this dramatic experience like, like the Jews did or the Samaritans or like we'll see in a couple weeks with the Gentiles? Because he was Jewish. They already had that experience. He didn't need to have another dramatic experience because God already said these four groups will have the same experience because he, God is a family man. He's a family God. He wants a unified church. Plus, Paul's life was dramatic anyways, so he probably... But man, man, of, man of family... The scales came off his eyes. I love in uh, Acts 22, 16, he became a part of a family. He took food. He was strengthened. He was with the disciples. Guys, you will not, I'll tell you this right now, you will not make it alone. You're going to get devoured. You're going to get devoured. Just do a little experiment. Cut yourself off from the family and see where you are in five years. You won't like it. I won't even recognize you. You're going to get pummeled, devoured, destroyed. And that's the truth. 1 John three fourteen. I don't care if it's David. I'll quote David. I don't care if it's John or Paul. They all say the same. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Do you want to know if you're saved? You love people. You're in the church. Amen? Amen. He who does not love abides in what? Death. So where are you at? You abiding in death (laughs) or life? You can't just say, oh, I love Jesus and I'm just watching church online. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm just talking about how life was before COVID. People just saying, oh, I can just do it on my own because I love Jesus and I just you know, have a problem with the church. That doesn't fly in the face of Jesus or his word. Psalm 1.1, believers are those who what? Not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So in other words, you can't be a complaining Christian and be a part of a family always from a distance, throwing darts at your family. You look more like the world, actually. Psalm 119, 63, I am family with those who fear you and those who keep your word. In other words, a companion, I am family with those. So in other words, when you look around the room, you're like, man, this is my family because we're people of truth. Do you know what the job of the church is? To expose lies and to speak the truth. You're like, that's the church? I know never told me that. I thought it was just like, what? No, that's the church. That's the church. We're to expose lies. That is like our job, to expose the lies of the culture. And then speak truth. And the reason why it's so hard sometimes, it's hard on the ears, it's hard on the soul, is because we have it twisted. I want to be a part of a strong church. I actually want to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm interested in the things of eternity. And that's the church. And then, almost last but not least, man of mission, he was bold. First Corinthians 9.16, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He was just a man of mission. He knew his mission. Why do we go to Washington, D.C.? Why do we go to Tampa? Why do we go overseas? Why do we do this? Not because of Antioch. It's because Jesus told us to do this. It's a command. In other words, I'm under it. 
I, I hate, I, it's a pet peeve of mine. Oh, John, I, I love that you get people on mission. No, Jesus gets people on mission. He's the one uh, enrolling the troops to go on mission. He said, authority has been given to me by the Father. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I said and did. And I'm with you until the end of age. That's what he says. And then men of courage, it's the last point. Men of courage. You know, Paul was, I'll read this. Paul was rejected so much, uh, which had been so hard on his soul. When, when many days had elapsed, verse 23, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Already, he's like, I just got saved. But their plot became known to Saul. Do you know the biggest enemy of the church today are those who speak lies? And I would say the same. The biggest enemy of the world are those who speak truth. Go ahead, try it. Try to speak truth. Do it on Facebook. See if you'll last. Try it. Just speak unadulterated truth. Watch the consequences. Paul was on their side, the Jews' side. He, they loved him. He was the king of kings. He was doing what they wanted them, him to do. He was on their side. He's like, hey, just, we're friends. As soon as he switched and got saved, all of a sudden, they wanted to kill him. Isn't that interesting? They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. You know what a good church does? They protect each other. They're not cowards. They actually protect one another. Uh, And by thought, by word, by deed. They said, look, there's... This man was, were, were after them. I mean, they could have easily said, hey, look, this is too risky. This is risky business. I, I don't know about this. This guy was a killer, a murderer from the beginning. He's super connected to the mob. We don't not want this guy. You know what they did? They protected him because he's a brother. So the only way the church is actually going to survive is when we protect each other. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, how many know we need Barnabases to rise up? Took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. They're like, wow, this man has changed. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was walking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Once they got Paul out of there, they actually got a little bit of rest. Being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord, And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. God's just going to continue to build his church in this this day. This is a glorious thing. Do we believe that? That these are the greatest days. These are wonderful days. Knowing that if, you know, whether it's Schultz or whoever has jobs and government jobs, so to speak, and and they speak truth, and they don't, and they don't make it, or they don't, they lose a job, or you know, we're going to see more of this in happening. We're going to, we're going to see the scriptures come alive, and that's going to encourage everyone. Maybe scriptures we've never seen before. We just glance over, and we're saying, "Wow, this is real." It's going to strengthen our faith, not weaken it. It's going to strengthen it, and we're going to help each other. And we're going to be called cult. They did it. I mean, that's why they did it. That's why they called them cult, because they, they, they gave money to one another. They had each other over at each other's houses. 
They broke bread together. They kissed each other on the cheek. They broke, they did communion, not just meals, but they also did communion. They sat at each other's uh, houses and they opened the scriptures up. They prayed. They gave. That's the church. In the hardest times, oh, it shines bright. I'm going to end with Whitfield here in a quote. I think it's relevant to that, those questions that we asked beginning of the message. What therefore, this is his best message, by the way, the, his sermon on Zacchaeus. What therefore has been said of Zacchaeus may serve as a rule whereby all may judge whether they have faith or not. You say you have faith, but how do you prove it? Did you ever hear the Lord Jesus call you by name? Were you ever made to obey the call? Did you ever, like Zacchaeus, receive Jesus Christ joyfully in your hearts? Are you influenced by the faith you say you have to stand up and confess the Lord Jesus before men? Were you ever made willing to own and to humble yourselves for your past offenses? Does your faith work by love so that you conscientiously lay up according as God has prospered you for the support of the poor? Do you give, do you give alms of all things that you possess? And have you made restitution to those who have, you have wronged? If so, happy are you. Salvation has come to your souls. You are sons, you are daughters of. You shall shortly be everlastingly blessed with faithful Abraham. But if you are not thus minded, do not deceive your own souls. Though you may talk of justification by faith like angels, it will do you no good. It will only increase your damnation. You hold the truth, but it is in your unrighteousness. Your faith being without works is dead. You have the devil, not Abraham, as your father. Unless you get a faith of the heart, a faith working by love, with devils and damned spirits shall you dwell forevermore. Woo! Anybody awake this morning? That is awesome. In the 1700s, still speaks today, doesn't it? Because it's the Bible. It's the Bible. That's why it speaks. Because it's the scriptures that he spoke. And it still works today. This is a living and active sword. Able to save our souls, sanctify us, set us apart, give us boldness and courage. To speak the truth. What a wonderful, glorious Savior we have. And he's worthy of our worship. And I love calling him Lord. (laughs) It's awesome. We win. By the way, has anybody realized that? Did anyone read Revelation? I love when the liberals all say, well, we got to recycle, we got to recycle, and all this garbage. Do you realize what Jesus does to this earth at the end? He absolutely annihilates it. I mean, garbage bins going all over the place. Recycling bins literally exploding everywhere. Lava coming out of mountains. One third of the earth absolutely annihilated. (laughs) I think it matters more what you do with your soul than what you do with your wrapper, if you ask me. And And I believe that today is a day of salvation. And I, I think that, you know, maybe perhaps some of you need to be saved this morning. I, I don't know. But I would venture to say that maybe perhaps you bit into religion and you're the guy trying to walk up the stairs on your knees, kissing the floor, trying to appease some sort of superficial leader. But today's the day of salvation. Come to the cross. He welcomes you. Come to the cross. Just, just if, you, if you want, just come up when we start worship, just to kneel. Sometimes it helps to prostrate. There's room. Get prayer. Just say, I, I, that's me. I, just, I, I don't know if I'm really saved. I mean, that doesn't characterize my life. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I just, 
I want to know that I know. I want that joy unspeakable. I want to just, I want to feel like I just can get up in the morning and just know that he's with me and that he is with me in the good and the bad, in the valleys and the mountaintops. I mean, he's with me. I want to know that. And it's easy. It's hard, but it's easy. Isn't that weird? It's so hard to be saved, but yet it's just so easy. And if your heart is thumping and it's like, man, I just, I can't handle it. I'm going to jump out of my skin if I don't touch something. If I don't just embrace, embrace Jesus, please. Embrace Jesus this morning. He's all you have. He is your king. Certainly not an earthly king. He won't save a soul. He can't even see straight. I, I just, he is our king. Jesus is our king. Not the mayor, not the governor, not the president, but Jesus Christ is our king. And to come to salvation is not realizing, oh, I need my slate clean, but I need a king to follow. I need a king to salute to. I need a king to bow to. That's what I need. I need him. Jesus and him crucified. That's the only thing that I can cling to and actually get something out of it. That's the only thing I can squeeze and actually get a drop out of that actually will nourish me. I need him. So Father, we ask you right now